Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. On today's program, we have invited our friend, Dr. Barry Bussey, to come back and to talk to us a little bit about the intersection of the law and religion. Dr. Bussey, welcome, welcome back. Great to be with you, Bill. You know, we always enjoy your, uh, your time with us, and we always learn so much more about you know, this vital area of freedoms and religious freedom and freedom to express ourselves. And so, so thank you for joining us. And for those of you that don't know, we're going to have uh, Dr. Bussey sort of give us a brief introduction. But, you know, I think uh, you know, Barry has uh, set himself apart as a, uh, a real uh, spokesperson for religious freedom. He's argued before the Supreme Court. And uh, I'm just thrilled that uh, every time you come up, well, it's great to be here. I'm just as thrilled as well. So. <laughs> and then recently, you, you, you initiated a brand new venture, mm -hmm. uh, First Freedoms Foundation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that also? Sure, sure. Well, um, First Freedoms uh, comes from a, uh, it's freedom of speech, uh, freedom of conscience and religion, and the inviolability of the person, which means basically that uh, government can't just take us um, do something to us, the person, uh, without the proper rule of law. So it comes, we, we got the idea from uh, Justice Ivan Rand, a 1953 Supreme Court of Canada decision when Justice Rand um, said there are these three, what he called original freedoms, and in our group we were uh, talking, okay, well, what should we call this uh, new entity? And we called it uh, First Freedoms Foundation. So we're, we're, we're not a charity, but we are a nonprofit. And the reason why we chose not to be a charity is simply because we don't want to be, uh, because we're going to be dealing with a lot of political issues and are, um, we didn't want to deal with CRA and all of, um, you know, the various regulations that uh, a lot of charities have to be concerned with. Yeah. Wow, it, that's, that in and of itself is a topic, right? <laughs> yeah. Just the interference, right? And yeah. the, the, the potential for interference. Yeah. And, uh, and, should you be articulating points of view that may be contrary to what the government of the day has as their... Yeah, and, their and, it's, and, and, uh, and unfortunately, um, this is becoming more and more of an issue. We saw it uh, in the last federal election, for example, uh, when uh, the prime minister said, look, if you're pro-life and uh, you're giving misinformation, <laughs> and that's just, uh, you know, the misinformation is information that we disagree with, right, in exactly. essence, yeah, yeah. Um, then we're going to take away charitable status of those groups. Now, they haven't done it yet, and I think given uh, what's happened over this, la this current year, I, I suspect there's, you know, there's so much upheaval right now that the government hasn't uh, pulled that lever yet, but... Who knows what might happen down the road? But you would think that just a government official making that statement has a chilling effect. Oh, on absolutely, on absolutely. Oh, right? sure, sure. And it uh, it's one of the reasons why um, I have a, a real big concern. In fact, I, I published a book uh, some time ago on this whole issue of charitable status and religious communities. And it's there is no question in my mind that uh, one of the big reasons why a lot of um, uh, various religious communities are not speaking out to public policy issues is because they're scared hmm. of violating uh, CRA regulations. Now, 
it is quite wide, the CRA regulation, uh, that allows a fair bit of uh, commentary and discussion, even on political issues, public policy issues. But when you have the prime minister make statements like that, uh, then you know full, full well that it's having a chilling effect across, um, across the board. And, and which is unfortunate because we need to have as many voices as possible in the public square. Um, and we're not having a whole lot of that uh, because people are just, you know, mindful of it. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not taking away from our general understanding of, you know, separation of church and state and all that kind of right. thing. But it's, it's just that when you're dealing with issues that uh, the community has to deal with, you know, even even the whole idea in the last uh, couple of years with closing down churches, you know, during the mandates and all the rest, and, you know, that was uh, something that um, a lot of people would have expected even more churches. And, you know, there were some churches that were, um, you know, kind of pushing the envelope on that. But uh, a lot of churches uh, just were very quiet uh, and for all kinds of reasons. But uh, I can't help but think that part of uh, part of the chilling is is the fact that, um, you know, they're afraid to speak. But yeah, so what I find so fascinating here is that that is happening though, where we have a document, mm. the charter, yes. that is supposed to govern or regulate how government actually acts, right? Yeah. And yeah. to respect the freedom of conscience, the freedom of expression mm. of individuals. So like, how, is that document really as powerful as like that I was led to, you know, that, that I was led to believe it is? I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, you know, Bill, I tell you, uh, a lot of people are asking that question, especially, um, uh, especially those who have been under the brunt, as it were, of the regulations over the last uh, number of years because, for example, with, you know, the whole vaccine mandate and all that kind of thing, uh, people uh, not able to fly, people getting fired from their jobs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so there are a lot of people questioning, okay, okay, so they go to court and what we've seen uh, for the majority of the cases so far, uh, we've seen uh, the courts ruling in favor of the government on this. Um, for example, the McMaster students uh, uh, tried to um, uh, get some redress because they were denied religious exemption on the vaccine mandate at the university. And the, and the court um, uh, basically said, "Well, you know, you're 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 in the wrong um, you're in the wrong venue. You should be actually with the Human Rights Tribunal. But since you're here, we'll give you our opinion on things. And the opinion <laughs> was such that you know the government was praised. The the uh, the uh, like like let, let's face it. I mean, we originally didn't know what was what with this uh, whole uh, COVID pandemic, uh, but I think it's time." Uh, went on, we, we got a lot more information and it was not near dire as, as what it was uh, made out to be at the beginning. Uh, but, uh, but even allowing, you know, uh, differences of opinion, allowing um, religious exemptions, which, you know, historically we've always allowed it right. um, uh, in, in a big way. Um, we've always accommodated religion, but, um, and so for those students, uh, for religious exemption, one would have thought it would have been, you know, if you're shown that you're sincere in your belief and, and all the rest, and um, it would be accommodated. But 
But that's not how it went. Uh, we, we saw, for example, um, uh, airlines uh, would have a uh, application process for religious exemptions. Right. And then um, they virtually, uh, well, certainly Air Canada was one that uh, gave very few, in fact, I'm not even sure how many uh, religious exemptions. It seemed to me it was like, like very small number. Whereas on the medical side, they gave exemptions no problem, or well, you know, in comparison uh, with the medical. And then uh, with the recent court cases that have uh, been going on right now with the Peckford case, the Bernier case, that uh, uh, JCCF, which is the Justice Center for Constitutional right. Freedom, doing great work across the country. Um, in uh, you know looking after the legal fees and hiring lawyers to do the uh, these cases and and what we found out in the uh, material that was filed at the federal court is that uh, you know Air Canada from the get go did not want to give any uh, religious exemption and even was counseling with um, the government lawyers as to how they mm. could <laughs> not give uh, religious exemption and and that is. Um, you know, that's very strange. And so a lot of people say, okay, well, what about the charter, right? You know, how come the charter hasn't been protected? Well, here's the thing. In order to, in order to get the charter to actually protect us, we have to take the matter to court. Okay. And so we have to go to court and we have to, you know, present the arguments and all the rest. But what's been happening is that over the last, uh, certainly last 10, 15 years, the Supreme Court of Canada uh, has been making decisions that have been consistently giving support of government mm. to carry out its uh, its uh, regulations and the law and all the rest. But it's government actors. And so, for example, the when the government passes a law in this country, it usually makes the law very broad. Okay. All right? So you can... Um, you know, it might be designed for a gnat, but they design it for an elephant. I mean, right. it's like really broad. And then that means the person on the front line, the administrator, okay, okay we call them government actors. Um, they are the regulators. They're the ones who are actually, you know, you come up to the wicket, they make a decision. Um, and those people are given very, very... Uh, a wide margin of, okay. of opportunity to be able to act on these matters. And the problem is, is that um, what happens when the government, in its, re in its imposition of regulation, i.e. most recently with the vaccine and the, you know, the whole COVID regulation, and then they make a decision that has a huge impact on people's rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, mobility rights. Right. Um, then what will happen is that um, they make that decision. They're not a court. Uh, they're not whatever. They're, they're, they're an authority. They're a government authority, but it affects your right right away. Boom. Right. The only recourse you have is to go to court. Go to court, I see. But what was happening under this COVID uh, experience is that when you go to court to try to get uh, redress, your court case is going to be punched out probably six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even uh, 12 months ahead. And so, but you've lost your job. 
Right. Right? So <laughs> what do you do in the meantime? Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but you're not even going to get unemployment insurance. Right. Right? Because you failed to follow the regulation or the rule at the workplace and all the rest that the government is, is imposing that they have to uh, uh, follow that regulation to require a vaccine mandate, a vaccine. So, so the problem is, is that in that in-between time, before you can actually get to court, uh, you've got a situation where uh, the charter right is being uh, already infringed, right? Until the court says otherwise. Right, okay. Uh, that, that, you know, and, um, you know, the, the, the court will determine whether or not in it, it meets the definition uh, in, in the charter. But we have to even step back even further now and have a look at uh, the whole concept of uh, what is the charter? How does it apply to us? And so the, the reality is, is that there is a, um, a vertical relationship between us as citizens and the government, okay. okay? So the government has all the power. Right. It has police power. It has, you know, it can take us off the street, put us in jail kind of thing, right? right. So, you know, you're dealing with power. Right. And uh, the, the charter was meant to be a buffer okay. between the government and us as citizens. And, but what happens if the philosophy of the government is such that it doesn't matter, in their view, with infringing a wee little bit as long as it gets its public object objective carried out, right? And, you know, they can come, you can come up with all kinds of rationale as to why it's the proper thing to do right. in this particular situation. Right. And so then government says, okay, you know what? We're going to take the risk in essence. Like, I mean, I yeah, don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm just, I'm just kind of yeah. uh, looking at the tea leaves, as yeah. it were. But I can imagine, and based on as well, though, on some of the memos that uh, were coming out in some of this uh, evidence in the cases, it would appear that government was sitting around, the government regulators, the, the lawyers and politicians and all the rest, and they were sitting around and saying, okay, look, uh, yeah, okay, we need to recognize that this is going to be a violation, right? Like, for example, on the Air Canada one, right? Oh, yeah, but you got to make sure you got to have your application uh, on the website. Now, in the meantime, uh, you're, you're, you're not going to give it much credence when someone applies uh, for it, but we want to show that, hey, you know what? We're going to, we, we recognize this human right here, where this charter right and so forth. And, uh, but on the other hand, we're going to, you know, kind of tighten it up over, right. over there as far as uh, applying it. And so what, what, what happens then is that you, um, you, you got this, this cat and mouse game going on. And it's a, it's a cost benefit uh, analysis of the government saying, what's the chances that this particular crisis will go a certain uh, length of time uh, before, um, and it might even be over by the time someone goes to court. Exactly. And then when they go yep. to court, guess what happens? Uh, as the, with uh, the Peckford and the Bernier case, so the, the case, the, 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 the hearing is now towards the end of October, but back in June, you remember that the government relaxed its uh, vaccine mandate requirements uh, for travel, right? Which is what that case was about. So then they go to court, as they did just a couple of weeks ago, that, 
you know, it's, it's, all, it's all moot now. Moot now, yeah. Right? In other words, there is no, there's no legal case here to be tried because right. the government has just let the order lapse and, um, you know, uh, we're wasting the court's time. The court shouldn't be uh, um, using its precious time in dealing with a matter that has no practical significance. Now, the, court, the, the lawyers on, uh, for Peckford and Bernier said, well, yeah, there is, yes. uh, you know, practical significance. And one of the things that the government has made very clear, it has suspended, in other words... Not eliminated, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're not, like, they can, uh, I, the way the regulation is set up is that they can have the minister just make a decision on the spot and then, boom, it has the force of law. And so if you don't have any check and balance on that, uh, we're into some very serious issues because um, you've got uh, a single individual with the authority of the state behind him and who's making a decision that's going to affect your mobility rights, your, right. uh, you know, your, your right to be able to, to make a living, to be able to travel and, and to be able to you know, your own religious uh, perspective uh, as to whether or not, you know, you want the vaccine or whatever. But so so all of that comes into play and we've got to have, it's extremely important that we have that check and balance. So there's a lot more to it here as well with respect to just the, the way the charter gets um, interpreted. Right. Because you can have all the law you want. Okay. But if it's going to be interpreted in a way that actually defeats the purpose. And this is what I argue, in, and I've argued this in a number of my writings. Um, for example, charter values. Uh, that's a whole nother subject. But the, the point is, is that we, we have judicial philosophies in interpreting the charter that's having a dramatic effect on how that right is being manifested okay. in the here and now. Right, so, okay. But let me just go back to me. The unprecedented nature of this, so correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, w the Canadian government respected conscientious objectors mm. in the past. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you actually did a documentary yeah. uh, interviewing many of these folks, and mm. while, you know, things weren't easy for them, but the mm. government respected at least this idea that, I mean, doesn't that fall within the same, like, do these religious exemptions not fall sort of within that same, the yeah. same parameters? Well, I, I, I'm, I would make the argument that yes, it does. And granted, the, there were still things they had to do, right? They had to serve the same amount of time, talking about the conscientious yes, objectors, right. World yes, War II, yeah, they yeah. had to serve the same amount of time as regular conscripts uh, in the work camps. Uh, but yes, they, but then once their time is up, they're out and you know, uh, living their life. But, um, but also, too, uh, they were not required to bear arms, as, which is why the, the, the thing came up to be in the, in the beginning, right? The, or, you know, but there was what, a war going on. There was a war going on. I mean, that's... And, and that's a very serious event, yes, right? Exactly. I mean, the life of the, of the country itself is yes, at stake. Yes, yes. Um, and so they were nevertheless uh, said, okay, uh, you're not going to bear arms, you go to the work camp. Right. Okay, so then what happened, though, is that the government uh, later on, in about 1943, allowed them to become medics. 
So if you had a conscientious objection against bearing arms, you could be a medic. And, and I talked to many of them who served right in the front line. I mean, literally uh, in the front line with respect to, um, you know, picking up uh, under fire, wounded soldiers and all the rest. Yeah, so it seems to me as a layperson looking at yeah. this from the outside that at some point here in the recent past, yeah. there, was there was a shift in how government would, or maybe the, I guess government, how this would be applied mm -hmm. to, the, you know, to the citizens. Because I would argue that a world war is a pretty <laughs> big deal. It's a national crisis, no question yeah. about it. And yeah. so, um, so, and one other thing that sort of jumped out, I wanted, I wanted to ask you, but just what, a few minutes we have left, at what point do the individual rights, so here's what I've heard from some, you know, from, from some folks, that the argument was used against them that maybe they belong to a particular denomination yeah. that didn't take a stand, you know, uh, you know, let's say, let's use vaccination as an example. Yeah. You know? Oh, your denomination is not against vaccination, so, you know, you cannot hold that particular religious view because you're a member of this group that, yeah. right? Yeah. How does, uh, That's totally against any um, understanding of religious freedom in Canada. Uh, how that came about is an absolute mystery, but it is, I think, a... Well, it's, I say it's a mystery. It, it, it's a mystery in the, in, the sen in the legal sense in one way, but it really isn't when you look at the cultural uh, dynamics that's going on. Um, and um, I mean, I could get into the, uh, what I see as the philosophical underpinnings of why that was the case, but it's, it's very, very troubling, extremely troubling when you have this, um, this right that you cannot have, uh, or, or you, you, know, you, you, you just simply can't, you, you can't exercise that right and it's yet it's been guaranteed to you, right? right. And uh, so we, it, yeah, it's um, it's something that uh, we just simply have to um, uh, recognize that there has been a change in the way things are being uh, applied, um, and uh, we can get into that. Yeah. So I think we're running out of time on this program. I think we need to. We always we always come to this conclusion yeah. that there's so much more for us to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, but this is something that has been really, you know, quite you know troubling to me. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to the vaccine. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea that. I think any kind of medical decision a person needs to make in consultation with their health mm -hmm. professional, mm -hmm. and make a decision as to what is best for them. Yeah. But what I see as government overstepping in the terms of freedoms in terms of religion in religious expression i mean we need to do a whole program on this whole idea of misinformation yeah i mean it seems yeah. to be synonymous with what it is that you know i don't agree with now is considered you know you know you know misinformation but i remember you guys arguing before in the past with religious liberty that every you know when you're when you're a you know, a diverse marketplace like we have here in Canada. Yeah. Every voice needs to be heard. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'd like to really, uh, maybe on the next program, yeah. um, just really dig into your question as to the reason um, why these individuals whose religious denominations said they have no problem with the vaccine. And why is it that the individual is not respected? That's so key.
I think we've just got a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to invite our viewers to join us on our, the next time around, we'll have Dr. Bussey back and we'll look specifically at that topic. Dr. Bussey, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. We're gonna close the program with a word of prayer. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything you do for us, your love, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for those inalienable rights that you have bestowed upon each and every one of us. And Father, I just pray that you bring uh, guidance to the authorities, to everyone, that uh, we all may humble ourselves before you and just be governed by your grace and your goodness. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that moment in our program where we have our special offer. On each program, we like to offer you a resource just to help you in this uh, spiritual journey that we're all uh, on together. And uh, we have a, a classic here. I consider this a classic. It's a book. It's called The Great Hope. It is a, um, uh, an excerpt or a portion out of a larger book called The Great Controversy. And uh, it is one of the most widely distributed Christian books in the world. It speaks of the battle between good and evil and who ultimately wins in the end. I'd love you to have a copy of The Great Hope. And it's a gift. It'll arrive in your home, postage paid. There is no obligation whatsoever on your part. So if you're interested in requesting your copy of The Great Hope, pay close attention to the information we're about to give you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. I want to thank you so much for joining us. I want to encourage you to go on your website, to go under the previous programs tab. And uh, what I'm going to do there is I'm going to pull all of the programs we've done on religious liberties with Barry, with Dr. Bussey, and uh, we will have those there. And you can have a look and uh, you can watch all of those. And uh, Dr. Bussey, thank you so much for being with us. It was great to be with you, Bill. Uh, let folks know a little bit about uh, First Freedoms Foundation, how they can reach out to you. Sure. Uh, First Freedoms Foundation can be found at uh, www.firstfreedoms.ca. So first freedoms, plural, on the freedoms.ca. And uh, we've got a, a running blog. We've got uh, a program uh, we call a freedom feature where I interview with all kinds of different uh, public policy people, lawyers, law professors, journalists on, on the issues of the day. It's excellent, it's an excellent resource and we're very grateful that you have uh, undertaken that very worthwhile project. Thank you so much. If, again, if you go on our website, l4ltv.com, if you click under the previous programs tab, you're gonna see a button there you can click and that'll take you straight to uh, 
Dr. Bussey's organization, and I would encourage you to support them both with likes and watching and with financial donations to keep these uh, very worthwhile organizations going and fighting for freedoms. Check out our Instagram page every morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I put out a one-minute devotional. Follow me on Instagram. Like our Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter. Um, and uh, an audio version of this program will be available on our SoundCloud account about half an hour from the end of the program. We're all out of time. We look forward to doing this again real soon. We hope you'll be with us. Take care. We'll see you then.